Merry Christmas. I never get tired of saying that. The word Mary actually means pretty much what it sounds like. The dictionary.com says the definition of Mary is full of cheerfulness or gaiety, joyous in disposition or spirit, laughingly happy, mirthful, festively joyous, hilarious. Now think about it. If I just said Christmas, it doesn't have the same impact as Merry Christmas. Now I know there's always a few Ebenezer Scrooges in the crowd, and so bah humbug is the response to Merry Christmas. But for most of us, when we hear that expression, we feel a little lighter, a little happier, a little cheerier. What we're going to do right now, though, is we're going to talk about the original meaning of Christmas. Obviously, we know it's about the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you realize the word Christmas is not a biblical word. That is, you don't find the word Christmas in the Bible. It actually didn't originate until about a thousand years ago. It actually means the mass of Christ. But, of course, Christmas, as we know, celebrates the birth of Christ. But what's Christ mean? Christ is simply the English way of saying Christos, which is the Greek word for anointed one. It's the same as the Jewish word Messiah. So if you ever thought about Messiah and Christ, they mean the same thing. And as we think about the name of Jesus, we realize that what we're celebrating is the coming of God's anointed one, God's Messiah. So at the same time, Christmas is actually nothing more for some than a paid holiday where we give presents to each other, and it certainly boosts the economy. If you're new today, we're really glad you're here, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, and we do want to celebrate Jesus' birth. But if you've been with us for a while, you know that we're not just celebrating Jesus' birth during this season of Advent. Advent is uh, the name that some people give to this season. Advent means coming. We've titled the series, Prepare the Way, and we're not only talking about Jesus coming 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But we're also talking about Jesus' return. Because when Jesus grew up, after living a perfect life, showing us who He was, truly the Son of God, dying on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, and rising from the dead before He returned to heaven, He said, I'm coming back soon. Now, soon has different meanings. For us, soon does not mean 2,000 years. But if you're God... 2,000 years is like a couple days because 1,000 years in God's sight are as a day. So right now we're going to give our attention and focus on what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. If Jesus comes back right now, as we take the time to remember and celebrate his birth, would he be welcome here? And when I say here, I mean here, like in the earth, on the whole earth, but I also mean here. In my life, in your life, in our heart, inside of us, would he be welcome here? Now, I know what you're thinking. Of course Jesus would be welcome here. But it doesn't take a lot of research to show that when Jesus came to earth the first time, he wasn't really welcomed very much. So, that's today's take-home point. And if you're new, the take-home point is the one point I'm going to be making from the Scripture tonight that we want to think about, take it home, pray about it, reflect on it, and consider how it applies to our life every single day. And here it is. When Jesus came the first time, no one welcomed him. Will we welcome him now? According to Luke's account of Jesus' birth, this is how it came about. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What Luke was doing was anchoring Jesus' birth in history. Some people think Jesus is a myth or a legend. Now what Luke was saying is, 
when Jesus came to the earth, there was actually an emperor in Rome. His name was Augustus. And there was actually a governor named Quirinius who was governing Syria. What, what Luke was saying is, at about the turn of what we would call the first century, there was the birth of this person named Jesus. And it says, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So what Luke is doing is continuing the account of Jesus' birth. It starts in Luke chapter 1, the first chapter. This is Luke chapter 2. And in chapter 1, we're introduced to Mary. And actually, we have to go to a different gospel to be introduced to Joseph. But what we find is that when Mary and Joseph first found out that Jesus was coming to the earth, they weren't excited. In fact, when Jesus was first announced to Mary, and she found out that she was going to be the mother of God's Son, she asked a reasonable question. It says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now the angel had told her that she was going to be God's son, and she realized that to have a son, usually you have to have a father. And so she's asking, how is this going to happen? It's not, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And so the angel gave her an answer, and we would call it an incredible answer, meaning one that's almost impossible to believe. What he said was, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, you have to admit, that sounds like a myth or a legend. The idea that a God could come into this world and impregnate a woman, it, it sort of sounds like a myth or a legend. But here's the reality. You know, it doesn't sound reasonable, doesn't sound logical, it doesn't sound scientific, but think about it for a minute. If there is a God, the God that we read about in the Bible, who created everything that exists out of nothing, a God who lives beyond time, before time, but also is going to come into time, he pretty much could come however he wanted to in a supernatural way. So first of all, it's not unreasonable. Secondly, it's not illogical. It's just beyond the, the, the bounds of human logic. We can't always figure God out because His ways are as far above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And finally, when we say it's not scientific, what we mean is science is the study of cause and effect. And, and science studies natural causes and natural effects. They're really not concerned with anything that's supernatural. So when we say it can't be Scientific, what we mean is it can't be demonstrated scientifically. doesn't mean it's unscientific. Anyway, the point is, Mary was surprised by what the angel told her. I'm guessing it might have been a little easier to accept the message because of the messenger. The messenger wasn't just an angel, whom very few people ever get to see an angel, but it was one of the chief angels of God, Gabriel. So our take-home point tells us that no one welcomed Jesus when he came to the earth. I'm guessing there was one exception. I'm guessing that by the time Mary had that little baby formed inside of her, she was eager to meet him when he was going to be born. But when she told Joseph what had happened, that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, the son of the living God, Joseph didn't buy it. We know that not because of Luke's gospel, but because Matthew's gospel, which is another account of Jesus' life. And, and this is what we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph didn't believe Mary at first. Who would? If somebody were to hear what Joseph heard. But then he also heard from an angel. So now Mary and Joseph know that Mary is pregnant. She's going to have the son of the living God. So who do you think they told? I don't think they told anybody. Who would believe that? Who would believe that account? So what happened in a culture like that, most likely, is they were put to shame, they would have been ostracized, maybe even cast out of the community. So here's the thing I'm thinking. This travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that trip for the registration may have been a welcome respite from the daily contempt that they experienced in Nazareth. Even though the trip was 100 miles long, even though the only way they could have gotten there was by foot or by a donkey or something like that, it might have seemed a welcome break from what they faced in the town of Nazareth. Now the reason we are told that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem is this was the ancestral home of King David. And Joseph was from the line or the family, the ancestry of David. Here's a question. If Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what difference does it make whose family Joseph is from? I mean, how does Joseph, being from the line of David, matter if Jesus' father is the Holy Spirit? Well, here's something that is very important for all of us to understand. In those days, in the Jewish culture, people married within their tribes. So a Jewish man who was a, from the tribe of Judah, which is who King David was from, would marry a Jewish woman from the tribe of Judah. So Mary was from the tribe of Judah. So from a natural standpoint, Jesus was a descendant of David. And also, Joseph accepted Jesus in the family. We might say in modern terms, adopted him. So from that standpoint, he was also part of the line of David. So it says this, and this is the key passage about Jesus not being welcomed. It says, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no place for them in the inn. We've all seen movies or animated cartoons or live nativity scenes that portray Mary and Joseph. And where's the baby? In that wooden manger, unlikely. I mean, I've been to Israel only one time, but one thing I learned there that sort of just devastated my Christmas story was it was a stone feeding trough. It wasn't probably made out of wood. Not much wood in Israel. So there's Jesus, the Son of the living God, come to earth and He's lying in a stone feeding trough, most likely in some kind of place where animals were kept because it's a feeding trough for animals. And some biblical scholars have trouble with this account for a couple of reasons. Number one, Joseph and Mary were going to their ancestral hometown. They would have relatives there. Would no relative welcome them into the home? Plus, the Jews, were, they, the Jews believed that you had to welcome the stranger into your home. So why is it that no one welcomes Jesus into their home in Bethlehem that night? We don't know the answer to the question. What we do know is when we read the account, there's Jesus in the manger, and there's Mary, and there's Joseph, and that's pretty much it, because nobody was ready 
to welcome Jesus. Now last week, Pastor Alex told us and reminded us that somebody else did hear about the birth of Jesus. There were shepherds. They were outside of, Drew, outside of Bethlehem watching over their flocks. An angel appeared and told them that there was good news. In fact, good news of great joy for all the people. Why? Because the Savior, the Messiah or Christ was born that very night in Bethlehem. And when the angels disappeared into heaven, the shepherds ran to Bethlehem and they found Jesus and they worshiped him. And then it says they went and told everybody in the town. I can picture the shepherds running around, pounding on doors, maybe even the door of the inn where Mary and Joseph had not been welcomed, saying the Messiah is born right here in Bethlehem. And we're told in that account, which is later on in chapter 2 of Luke, that everybody who heard the news was amazed. But did they do anything? You see, they were amazed, but what did they do about it? Luke doesn't tell us that anyone actually, after hearing that the Messiah is born and is in a manger, said, hey, you can use our... I mean, if you had... Even if the king of some country were to be here in the room tonight and said, I don't have any place to stay, do you think any of us might make a place for them to stay? But nobody made a place for Jesus to stay. As Jesus grew, we don't have a lot of details about his life. We know that he was a refugee in Egypt for a time. We know that he came back to Nazareth. We know this, that he was obedient to his parents, to Mary and Joseph, and that he grew in wisdom and he grew physically, and he was in, had favor with people and with God. But here's something. As we read the four accounts of Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and his return to heaven, we don't find many who welcomed him. And you might be thinking, wait a minute. The crowds welcomed Jesus. I mean, when he fed the 5,000, they were pretty excited. When he healed sick people, raised dead people, they were pretty excited. Yes, they were. But when the religious leaders turned against Jesus and condemned him, where were the crowds? The crowds were shouting, crucify him, the same as the religious leaders. And in fact, on the night that Jesus was arrested, nobody stood beside him. Everybody, even his closest friends, the disciples, ran away. So here's the question. As we celebrate Jesus' birth today and we look forward to his return, is Jesus welcome here? I mean, here in the world and here in my heart and there in your heart. Is he really welcome? You see, right before Jesus died... He, he had a long conversation, actually a monologue, with some of his disciples, and he asked this question, when the Son of Man comes, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Only the faithful are going to welcome Jesus when he returns. Only those who love him and are called according to his purpose are going to say, welcome back, Jesus. A couple weekends ago, I talked about how the Apostle Paul was eagerly expecting Jesus to return. In fact, he expected Jesus to return any moment. And this is what he said about that moment. He said, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Paul believed Jesus was coming back very soon. He believed when he came back he would be Savior. And that's true. When Jesus comes, the truth is, when he returns, he will return as Savior of those who know him and as judge of those who don't. Jesus will be welcome when he returns, but only those by those who know him as Savior and Lord. Paul told us that when that moment comes, something amazing is going to happen. Our mortal bodies are going to be turned into 
bodies that are going to live forever, just like the body of Jesus. Now, I don't know what you're expecting under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, what kind of present you want, but whatever it is, it can't compare to a glorious new body that's going to live forever. I mean, that's better than a Peloton or a pickup truck any day, right? So I started this series four weeks ago by saying, Christmas is my favorite time of year. It is. I love everything about the season. I love the decorations. I love the food. I love the giving and receiving of presents. I love the snow whenever there ever is any. I love everything. I especially love how people seem to be kinder and and happier and more motivated to do good things. But when Jesus returns, this is something we need to know. It will make the best Christmas we could ever imagine seem like a cold, rainy day. When Jesus returns, it will make the best Christmas we could ever imagine seem like a cold, rainy day. If you and I believe that, it's going to change the way we live. I mean, think about it. Joseph and Mary's lives were radically different because they believed that Jesus, their son, was the son of God. It allowed them to hear the voice of God. It allowed them to act whenever the angel told him, move to Egypt, something that probably none of us would want to do in the modern day when it wouldn't be that hard to do, but it would be difficult, extremely difficult for a Jew to live in Egypt at that time. And yet they did what they had to do to be obedient to the voice of God in their lives. So as we leave today, what is more important about Christmas for us? Is it what's going to happen under the tree on Christmas morning? Or is it about the coming, the return of Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about sitting on our butts and waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm not talking about praying for Jesus to come back. I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. What I'm talking about is living with Jesus inside of us, with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who conceived Jesus inside of Mary, guiding our thoughts and our words and our actions. I'm talking about living as citizens of heaven every single moment. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, who wrote Christian apologetics and children's books, said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Maybe it's because I'm 64 and I realize that it's you know, closer to the time when I'm going to see Jesus face to face than it's ever been that I think about this in my everyday life, about his return being imminent and I prepare for it. But I actually would prefer to think it's because I realize I don't want to just make a difference in this life. I want to make a difference forever. I want to be able to encourage and challenge people, all of us, to live our lives in such a way that when Jesus returns, he will find faith on the earth. That when he returns, we will welcome him. We will be ready. So whether that's today or tomorrow or 100 years from now, my prayer is that we will be ready. As we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate a Merry Christmas, we need to be ready because Jesus promised to come back soon. That's why today's next step, the action point from today's message is, I welcome Jesus now. Every moment we can be ready. Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? My commitment is he will, and I pray that that's your commitment too. I pray that Jesus is welcome here, all over the world, all over the planet, and especially here, in my heart and in your heart. And I, and I pray that every single day we'll be just looking to the horizon because he might be coming back. We want to be ready for him. And we want to be able to say when he comes, Jesus, 
you are welcome here. Amen? So, if Jesus is going to be welcome here, I, I used an illustration with my hands throughout the message. I said here, which is geographically speaking, in the planet on earth, and I also said here, which is a spiritual place in our hearts. If Jesus is going to be welcome on the earth and welcome in our hearts, that's only going to happen if Jesus is Lord and Savior. Savior means rescuer from sin and death. Lord means owner. And so right now, I'm going to ask the simple question, is he? Is he Lord, owner in your life and mine? Is he Savior? Do we trust that he died on the cross after living a sinless life and his bloodshed is what is necessary for us to have a new life today, tomorrow, and forever? If you haven't said yes to those questions, then I would encourage you to understand something. Following Jesus is simple, but it's not easy because it is a transfer of ownership of your entire life. But we say here at New Life that making the transfer as simple as A, B, C. A, the first thing we do is we admit. We admit we're sinners. We admit that maybe all Christmas has meant to us so far is that we get presents or we give presents or we get a day off. But it hasn't really been about that Jesus who was born in that manger in Bethlehem who grew up and lived that perfect life that nobody else could ever live and that he died and rose again. And really, that's the second letter B, believe. We believe that there was a guy named Jesus who came to this earth, but he wasn't just a guy. That he's the son of the living God of the universe. He left heaven and came to earth so that we can have a new life today, tomorrow, and forever. We believe that he is Lord, Master, that he is Savior, Rescuer. And see, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord to God and to other people, and we believe and commit ourselves to living in the power of the Spirit of God every single day. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to pray with me right now. And again, this is not just a prayer that when you do it, then we just sit and wait for Jesus to come back. This is a prayer that transfers ownership so that from this day forward, we get to live under the leadership and lordship of God in the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray with me right now. And if you need to pray this prayer, pray it with me. Almighty God, I thank you for who you are, the God of the universe. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that I don't live my life with Jesus at the center. Right now, I believe that what we read about tonight is true, that Jesus came to the earth to rescue me, to rescue all people who trust him as Savior and Lord from sin and death. And I believe that he is Lord and God. I confess right now to you, God, that I need him as my Savior, as my Lord, and I commit to living with your Holy Spirit in my life. I pray that he will guide me and direct me and empower me to live from this moment forward. And God, I pray for all of us who have prayed a prayer like that at some point in our life, that right now your Holy Spirit would convict us of any shortcomings, and we all have them, but also empower us to live day by day by day trusting that Jesus' final promise to return will be fulfilled as all of his other promises have been and that as we wait, we will live in faithfulness each and every moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, we're going to do something that we do every Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve here at New Life. 
we're going to light a candle that represents Jesus. And as we do that, I want you to remember that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said that anybody who trusts him, who lives in him, will never walk in darkness. And uh, I'm going to have my friends come on up here right now. I want them to show you something. And, and this seems like a little thing, but it's a really important thing. You're going to dip your candle into mine. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because it's, it's a representation of submission. You see, if, if she holds her candle straight up like this and I hold my candle straight up like this, we can't light. She has to actually do this. Submit. It's a symbolic action. Whenever you receive the candle, the light that they're going to share with you, you can do the same thing. All right. You're going to bend your candle to the candle that isn't no, any longer obviously representing Jesus, but the light comes from Jesus. It's reflected light. All the light that we have in the world is reflected light because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our lives. So in the moment you receive that light, dip your candle and, and say, I want you to say to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud. If you want to, you can. Jesus, I submit to you. Submit means to voluntarily put myself under the authority of someone else. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to sing the traditional Christmas song, Silent Night. It's a beautiful song that talks about that birth so long ago, but it also recognizes Jesus as Lord. So if you're able, would you please stand? I'm going to have my friends go to their stations. We're going to dim the lights, and we're going to start submitting our lives to Jesus as we sing together. Thank you. 
As you look around the room right now, you see dozens of lights, candles. They all came from this one light, the light of Jesus. As each of us submitted ourselves to Him, the room grew brighter. If for a moment you would raise your hand, everybody, and raise your candle up, and look around, what happens is you can even see more. I can see more features. I can see almost the whole way to the back. I can even see people up in the balcony, which I can never see when those lights are shining in my eyes because the light of Jesus is reflecting off their faces. You can put your candles back down. As we go out tonight, remember, the light of Jesus is the primary light in the universe. We are reflected light. And every time we submit ourselves to Him, He shines in our lives and then we can shine to others. Just as the shepherds told everyone the good news of great joy for all the people that the Savior David was born, or the Savior Jesus was born in the city of David that night, we can go out and offer the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the peace that the world so desperately longs for. We can only do that when He is first.